0: Well, good morning. Well, I don't know about you, uh, I'm a little bit tired because last night there were a group of us that were celebrating uh, Joel and Kelly Limbowen's wedding. And uh, we had a great time last night. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Dave Peters and uh, Tim and Cindy Culp have the spiritual gift of dancing. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. We just had a ball last night, but Joel and Kelly were so thrilled for them, and and Bill and Elaine Borgard—they're just, just—it was so, such a blast last night. So we're going to celebrate Joel and Kelly when they get back into town, and and uh, we'll go nuts for them and and uh, bless them. But uh, man, it was just a fun a fun time uh, together. Uh, Well, before we get into the teaching, I want to share uh, an exciting opportunity that we have as a church that you're going to be hearing more about over the coming weeks. Uh, We certainly have celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, and now we turn our attention, along with millions of other uh, believers around the world, uh, to something called Pentecost, Pentecost, uh, which this year is on May uh, 15th. Uh, Pentecost, uh, Pentecostus uh, simply means 50 days, or the 50th day. And uh, it's 50 days after Easter. Uh, Does anyone know or remember what we celebrate at Pentecost? Anybody remember? The Holy Spirit, but what did the Holy Spirit do? The birth of the church, right. So it's the church's birthday. And we see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit doing a really cool work, and all of a sudden, boom, the church is born. The church is born. So it's a chance for us to sing happy birthday to the church. So we move from Easter to now leaning in to looking at Pentecost, which is in our, in our view. And so we anticipate that. And one of the benefits of being a part of something called the Ecclesia Network, you all know that we're a part of a church planning network called Ecclesia, one of the benefits of being a part of Ecclesia is that we get to be a, a part of something bigger than ourselves. And one of the things that Ecclesia is doing this year, which was just initiated just a handful of weeks ago, is something called a Pentecost Offering. In a Pentecost offering, there are about ten churches in our network that have decided, "Hey, if this is the birthday of the church at Pentecost, what would it look like if we actually encourage these churches across our network to give towards a central fund to be able to see future churches unleashed and birthed?" Which is pretty pretty exciting. Now, what's interesting is that was already a part of our vision that we talked about for 2016. So when we saw that, we were like, "No way! That is so cool." and if you haven't been with us or just as way of reminder you know we said in 2016 we want to see four things happen one was strengthen and sharpen our house churches and several of your house churches have seen me as I've rotated around and taught and you've taken field trips you have scattered around which is really exciting uh, number two is to have greater presence in our gatherings or the information table and our presence with prayer which we've done to cultivate more kingdom mischief more opportunities to just bless and be creative in that blessing outside of ourselves. And then the last one, we said we wanted to plant a church out of Renew, uh, God willing, in 2016, and to see this $30,000 fund that we have towards church planting to be doubled to $60,000, which feels like a a big thing, but we really want to lean into that. So when this opportunity came about through our network where they said, hey, we want to initiate this, we went, how cool is that? We're already thinking that way. And because of that, Because of that being our goal in Ecclesia launching this, we've been given permission to keep the funds in-house where most are giving it to the central fund of Ecclesia. We've been uh, said, hey, if that's already your vision, keep it at Renew so that when you guys launch, and plant something else you've got that so we wanted to just let you all know about that that we're in the same vein with the ecclesia network on this and there are going to be three gatherings between now and pentecost in mid-may that we wanted to just let you know we're going to be highlighting talking about it, sharing some stories of other Ecclesia churches who have planted churches out of what they're doing too, so that we get to kind of see and hear what we're a part of and what God is calling us to be a part of uh, leaning forward. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be inviting Renew, not today, but inviting Renew uh, to give towards this goal of raising this additional $30,000 to see something uh, unleashed out of what we do. So at Advent, we give a special offering normally to bless our global partners, but we've never done anything outside of Advent of inviting people to give to something bigger like this. So this is a first for us in almost eight years of doing this, but we want to actually see what we can do to lean in and give and sacrifice towards this uh, over a period of time. And so we'll do that this spring. So you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks, so stay tuned, but I want to encourage you and your families to begin to think through this, to pray now, to discuss with each other, what might that look like if we were to partner? Now, we know not everyone's going to partner. That's okay. We're not going to hold that against you. There's no uh, legalism or guilt or compulsion that we're going to Uh, force upon you, but we just want to invite you and say, I'm excited to do this, we're excited to do this as a family, and we want to invite you into this as well with your individual families or your friends or your house church. So, everyone can give uh, if you feel led to do so, even if it's a little amount, but This is a great way to join even with other churches doing that. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll highlight some more stories and talk about it further in the coming weeks. But I am just thrilled. When I saw this, I was just so excited to know that this was already our vision, and that our network is just wanting to lean in and do this. So this is a good time to do it as we think about the birthday of the church. So, all right, take a deep breath. With that being said, let me pray, and then we'll jump into the teaching. God, thanks for the privilege that we had to hear Mike and Deanne's story. Thank you for uh, the faithful commitment that they've had to you even in the face of persecution, even in the face of uh, worrying about being arrested uh, or deported out of their country. Um, God, thanks for um, the fact that you love us uh, despite uh, our shortcomings, uh, even in the midst of our pain or our shame or our setbacks, or our failure, or our sin. Whatever it is, God, you still choose to pursue us, and you love us. And we didn't deserve it, and you did it just because you love us. And we thank you for that. And so we want to pay attention to that kind of God who loves us that much. And so we thank you for that. God, be with us here. Even as I teach, would you teach me? Would you use me? But would you challenge me as well here with my friends as we look at this incredibly exciting and important passage. And uh, it's that we pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn to uh, Acts chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We're going to talk you through it, uh, and that's fine. But if you do have a Bible and want to follow along, we want to encourage you to do so. If you don't have a Bible, but you want to follow along, back at our information t- table under the giant R in the wooden box, there are extra Bibles. And feel free to grab one and then use it and then return it when you're done uh, if you want to. But uh, again, we're, we're coming off of Easter. We had a great time together in our gathering two weeks ago. But the question remains, if we're really honest, okay, Easter's great. The tomb is empty. So what? Now what? What do we do with that? Where do we go from here? And one, one of the things that uh, struck me over the last few days is one of the most important evidences that Christ was raised from the dead were his disciples. Think about it. If Jesus wasn't raised from the, dead, from the dead, or if the disciples weren't sure, you know, I'm not sure, maybe someone did steal the body, maybe this really didn't happen, or worse, what if it was a deceptive cover-up? And they just were trying to freak people out and, 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 and hoodwink people, would the disciples have gone to the lengths that they went to actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Would they actually be willing to go to their deaths if they knew it was a fraud, if they knew it was a fake, or even if they weren't fully convinced? You know, it's fitting that we've been journeying through the book of Acts where we see these followers of Jesus that will do whatever it takes to follow this risen Christ, even if it meant marching to their own death. As a review, uh, Acts serves as this bridge between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books uh, that highlight Jesus, the uh, the biographies of Jesus, and before it gets into Paul and his letters that he writes to these local communities that are popping up. It's, It's the bridge between the two. And Acts, it was written by Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke. So as, as Luke is writing this, he's wanting people to say, hey, here's the purpose of the whole book. That The salvation of God is spread because of the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and nothing can thwart it. That's what Acts is about. Salvation happens by the power of the Holy Spirit working and nothing can thwart. It's spread. That's what Luke wants us to grasp. And it's this spread from Jerusalem... Christianity just happening in the city of Jerusalem, spreading all the way to Rome, the world headquarters at that time. Rome. The good news of God's salvation through Jesus is that first it was for the Jews, but then we see in Acts that it spills out for everyone else who wasn't a Jew. All the non-Jews, the Gentiles, it spilled over there. And the Holy Spirit is guiding the process of this little baby church, this infant church, the early church, Learning of what it means to live in light of the fact that there is a risen Christ. That salvation is for all of God's people. It is God's thing and nothing can hinder God when He's up to something good. And at every turn, the Holy Spirit is that driving force. Now, you've turned to Acts 19. Now, in this passage, I can't tell you how excited I am. I was telling the brands last night at the wedding, I am just like bursting at the seams to teach on this. So if I get a little excited, I apologize, sort of, because I just get really excited about this stuff. There's no goats, there's no high priest, there's no wild cheering, but I am busting at the seams. And so we're going to look at the second half of Acts 19. If you look in your Bibles, you may notice in the first half, uh, there's a, a story about receiving and understanding the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to encourage you in your house churches this week I'm going to equip your house church shepherds to be thinking uh, about that and, and giving some resources there. But we're going to focus on the second part of this, uh, starting in verse 23. But before we do that, I've got to give you a little bit of background, right? Let me show you, let me show you some, uh, some slides and, and give you a little background so that the passage makes a little bit more sense. It's kind of interesting because we have Mike and Deanne who were missionaries for 42 years in Turkey because the passage we're going to look at actually takes place in modern-day Turkey. And some of these slides I'm going to show you here, uh, they've been to many times before. And uh, Mike and I were talking uh, before the gathering this morning about, oh yeah, we went there and this story happened. And So it's really kind of cool because this is real-world stuff. So, this story happens in modern-day Turkey. You kind of see Google Earth uh, right here, uh, an image uh, of the Middle East and, uh, and parts of Europe here. Uh, Ephesus is where this story takes place. And in the ancient world, there were few cities as wonderful and as well-known as Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. It was a port city that you can see right there on the water, uh, At its heyday, it had 250,000 people living in this city in the first century. Ginormous. Ginormous. It ranked right up there with Rome and Corinth and Antioch and Alexandria, Egypt. If you had a T-shirt, you could wear something that said Rome, Paris, New York, Tokyo, London, Ephesus. I mean, just one of the world powers there in the first century regarding notoriety and size of the city. And the Apostle Paul lived in Ephesus for a while. He wrote the book of First Corinthians there. Uh, where he was in prison there for a short time. Um, And Paul also wrote a letter to the Ephesian church. He was in Rome when he wrote it, but he wrote to the the believers that were living in the city of Ephesus. Beautiful, beautiful. Even today, these are are pictures, um, very recent pictures. Now, if you can't understand the city of Ephesus, if you don't understand Artemis, let me tell you about Artemis. Artemis was a god, a goddess, uh, that the Ephesian people revered deeply. Artemis had another name. Her name was also Diana. She was seen as the goddess of fertility. The goddess of fertility. She was referred to as the mother goddess, but she also had titles such as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've heard that before, that phrase. The most widely venerated of the ancient Greek deities. She was seen as a healer. When you needed wholeness, you would go to Diana. You would go to Artemis to be the healer. Now, there were statues of Artemis that have been found, and because she's the goddess of fertility, you see that she's got several breasts all over the front of her, which alarmed adults, confused babies, and excited junior high boys, I'm sure. Um, But now there's this general cult that existed of Artemis, okay? And there were 33, there have been uh, recorded there were 33 cult centers Around the world in the first century devoted just to this goddess Artemis. She was huge. She was huge. But the general cult of Artemis was very different than the Ephesians view of Artemis. In fact they were very territorial, saying Artemis she is ours, she is from Ephesus and we will hold on to that identity. And the Ephesians just were very adamant that, that she was their own and resented any foreign claims to her protection. Now, each year in March or April, uh, Ephesus hosted a month-long festival in her honor called Artemisa. And Artemisa was a was a time of a, it was like carnival and religious celebrations and music and tons of eating. Pilgrims would flock all over the empire to participate for this month long festival in her honor. These impressive ceremonies, and they would make offerings at her sacred uh, grove out uh, in the wilderness. They would enjoy athletics and pl- have concerts and these huge banquets in her honor. Now if you 're going to understand Ephesus, you have to understand Artemis, and if you understand Artemis, you have to understand the temple of Artemis. Now there were coins that had been found in Ephesus with the inscription on it that said Neochorus, and Neochorus meant the temple warden or the temple guard. They were the keeper of Artemis 's temple. And the temple of Artemis is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. You see here, this is an artist rendering. this is not real. <laughs> this is an artist 's rendering of what they believe that the temple of Artemis was like. You can see how impressive this would be and why it would be one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. The temple was more than 400 feet long, more than 200 feet wide, 127 marble uh, pillars around it. This today, these are the only foundations uh, and sculptural fragments uh, that remain today. So imagine this impressive uh, temple. this is the only thing that remains. It's been destroyed actually three different times. Rebuilt, but destroyed uh, three different times. And in the inner sanctuary, where the temple of Artemis was, was an, an image, an idol of Artemis that they believed dropped from the heavens. So they said Artemis fell from the heavens and landed, and this was this idol, and they placed that idol in the inner part of of the temple of Artemis. Then they'd go and offer sacrifices to her. By the way, who else in the Bible does it say who is fallen from heaven? Satan. Keep that in mind, all right? Here's, here's another location I want to show you in Ephesus, and it's really impressive. I, I one day so badly want to go to this. Uh, Kelly Royce and I were talking about this just on the way in here this morning. I so want to visit. the the theater here in Ephesus. Now the temple was magnificent, but so was the theater. 25,000-seat stadium. You can walk through it and view it today. These are very contemporary pictures. Think of this, 2,000 years. Look at how well-preserved this is. To this day, okay. Just to give you some context, twenty-five thousand-seat stadium that's bigger than the Wells Fargo Center. And with how the Sixers are playing, I'm sure it's much more exciting to go to the Temple and the the theater in Ephesus than it is to go to the Wells Fargo Center now. Uh, Fortunately, the Flyers are saving us here by making the playoffs. Um, But they've unearthed at this theater the Emperor's Box. It was like the VIP box seats. They had seats with backs on them. They were made of marble and reserved for really important people. I'm sure scalpers sold them for lots of money on StubHub. Um, It was used not only for for, uh, concerts and plays, but also for religious festivals, for political discussions, philosophical discussions, as well as for gladiator and animal fights. If the temple was the religious center... The temple of Artemis was the religious center of Ephesus. The theater was the cultural center. Now, with that background in mind, let us read this passage from Acts chapter 19. And hopefully we can picture this a little bit more in our minds. Starting in verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, the way were the early Christians. That's what they were called, the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines to, of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and he said, Men, you know that we receive good income from this business, and you see and hear how the fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that our temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty." When they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and they rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people there did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew... They all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city clerk quieted the crowd and he said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If, then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, you are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Now hopefully some of the lights are lighting up on your dashboard here with some of the background information. But this is a big deal. This is a big deal with what's going on. So in verse 24, right, we, we see Demetrius Demetrius, this silversmith, right? each trade had its own guild for the manufacture of, of silver shrines or idols. Okay, Since it's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, people would come from all over the world to view it, even in the first century. So it became a, a very uh, tourist uh, location. It would be like a little shop owner that sold little Buddha idols across from the, the street from a Buddha shrine in Japan or, 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 or other places in Asia. So here's the problem for Demetrius. Here's the big problem. If the Ephesian people receive the message from Paul about Jesus, this risen Christ, then these silversmiths and these shrine makers can't feed their families. Paul exposes Demetrius and what he's doing is a fraud. Paul's message was really bad for business. So their jobs were on the line. If Paul succeeds, they lose. Demetrius' name, by the way, comes from Demeter, the goddess of the harvest, which is also the goddess of fertility. So even his very own name, Demeter and Artemis, are both goddesses of fertility. Demetrius was not only connected with his finances and his religious practices as a cultural way of living, but even his own Identity. This is personal for Demetrius. If Paul is right, if Paul is not stopped, my kids don't eat dinner. And they talk about the temple right there in verse 27, right? The temple. You mess with people's idols, expect to get messed with. You mess with people's idols, expect to get messed with. Because it was about not just economics, but about identity. And Demetrius starts this riot. He gets everyone up in arms. Because everyone, of course, would defend Artemis. What is Ephesus without Artemis? We have to protect her. We worship her. We need her. She is our identity. And look what it says there when this riot is breaking out. Look in verse uh, verse 30 there. They're all rushing into the stadium, okay? So picture the 25,000 seat stadium, larger than most NBA stadiums, filled with people who are angry at Paul and his friends who are also followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And verse 30, look what it says. And Paul was super apologetic that he offended them and said, Sorry, I'll leave quietly. It's not what it says at all, is it? What does it say? Verse 30, Paul wanted wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Paul, you know what, dude? Hey, look, man, I know you're pretty excited about this. I know you're passionate about Jesus, but they will dismember you. They will rip your limbs apart. Don't go. Paul also has friends. He lived, he taught for a few years in Ephesus. He got to know all sorts of people. It says some very uh, rich and affluent and influential friends of Paul who weren't followers of Jesus but we're friends and helping run the whole city. So the very popular people sent an emergency message to Paul. and said, Paul, we love you, but bro, down, Sparky, down. Like, it's time for you to just chill, because they will destroy you. So he's got his fo- the followers of Jesus, his friends, saying, don't go in there, don't go in there. He's got people who aren't followers of Jesus, but friends of Paul saying, not a good idea, Paul. Don't go in there. Don't do it. And what does Paul say? I've got to go in there. Let me in. I don't care what happens to me. Let me in there. I don't care what you say, and I don't care what you say. I don't care what they're chanting for two hours. I have got to go in there. I've got to do it. Let me in. Let me in. I mean, Paul wasn't afraid to die. And if you're not afraid to die, then you're one dangerous dude for Jesus. Paul tells us in one of the later letters all the things that he went through, all the hardships he went through beatings, several imprisonments, sleepless nights, shipwrecks, hunger, beatings, untrue rumors, all of these things. And it's still worth it to him. So, hey, why not throw a riot into the mix, too, huh? You know what I mean? Why not add it to that resume? And the crowd is whipped into this frenzy. Most people at the beginning don't even know why they're in there. What are we cheering? Oh yeah, well, yeah, what, what are we supposed to say? Right? Until someone gets up and tries to talk to him, and they realize he's a Jew. Now they're furious. The bear has been poked. And they chanted for two hours. Great is Artemis, God of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis, God of the Ephesians. Two Hours. And what united them was the fact that their identity in Artemis was being threatened. Right? You've heard nothing unifies more than a common enemy. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, always threatens our individual, our personal, and our cultural idols. Always. You mess with people's idols, expect to experience resistance. Mike and Deanne talked about how they lived under this threat of being in Turkey. Paul lived with that same threat in Turkey. I mean, this is one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire New Testament. All right, Ange, go ahead and show the next picture. I want you to picture this. I want you to think that you're Paul. This is the tunnel that leads into the floor of the theater. Okay? I want you to imagine that the discussion is happening right there where his friends say, hey, Paul, 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 I mean, we love you. I know you love Jesus, but but don't, don't go down the hall. And I want you to look at this, and I want you to hear... What was probably going on in the background in the midst of this discussion? And Paul says, Let me go in. Because he thought if 25,000 people get to hear about a risen Christ who loves them so much, it would change the whole flippin' city. And that was a risk. He was willing to take. Now eventually, the crowd dies down. He isn't hurt. It actually ends peacefully because a city clerk comes out and reminds them we're a free city. Rome has allowed us to be a free city. But we are not allowed to riot like this. And if we riot like this, if you continue at this rate, if you riot our free city status will be pulled and we will no longer have that from Rome, so you better leave quickly. There's some politics playing out here. Don't make a rash decision here and ruin our freedom here in this city. And says, and after this, very melodramatically, he dismissed the assembly. We all just like shuffling out quietly. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something. So when you saw the tunnel and you heard the crowd, and I want you to actually share. Let's discuss this briefly. What did that make you feel? What did that do in here? Fear. What's that? Fear. Which side of the cheering? Cheer for Paul or cheer with the crowd? With the crowd. It's an honest answer. The, the, power, and the power and the gravity of the, the moment. Power and the gravity of the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John. I don't know what I heard about it, but I can't just imagine a false mindset. It's just out of its moment. We kind of think of it as like this rational, logical guy. Yeah. in that: Yeah, nothing else mattered. Yeah, yeah. So if you didn't hear what John was saying is, if you sometimes think that Paul's like this really rational, logical person, there are times he is, but when he's out of his mind, he's like, "I don't care. You can kill me. That's fine. You know what I've gone through already? I, I can handle it. It's worth it. I'm out of my mind. Yeah. Anyone else feel a sense of family pride? I felt like I'm with him. Like I'm, I'm with him. It would be great in your house churches this week for you all to answer this question. In this story, who do you relate to the most? If this story is unfolding, where are you standing or sitting? Where do you find yourself in the story? And I think, as as we think about today in our own lives, I think it's important that we ask ourselves a a series of questions. Like, what would make someone want to do that for the sake of Jesus? To say, let me in there. I don't care. Let me go in How many of us, honestly, how many of us would say, sorry, there seems to have been a misunderstanding. I will just go quietly. That's probably what I would do. How passionate do you have to be about Jesus for something like that to happen? And where does this kind of passion for Jesus come from? I know not everyone in this room is a follower of Jesus, and that's, I just love the fact that this is a safe place for you to explore who Jesus is and what He means in your life. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you come from a long line of people who have believed in Jesus that much. And that's why I have lots of family pride. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of faith to run through my bloodstream. And I think that Jesus is longing for people who want to say, let me go in there. There's a very uh, famous theologian uh, in England by the name of N.T. Wright. And he said, when Paul shows up in a city, he starts riots. When I show up in a city, people serve me tea. This, by the way, this story about Paul is not something from 2,000 years ago. There are stories like this that happen all over the place. We just heard a brief story of the amount of commitment of people, friends of ours, people in our church who lived in Turkey who were willing to say, let me go in there in Mike and Deanne. But let me tell you about Rana who lives in Nepal One day recently, about 20 women from her village took Rana and they kicked her and beat her with sticks and a man came and joined in in the process of beating her with the other women and it was her father. Why? Because Rana had chosen to be a follower of Jesus. She believed in the risen Christ like Paul. When they finished beating her, they left her and they yelled at her, now leave our village and never spread this foreign religion here again get out. She fled to a safe house, which was provided by a great missionary organization called Voice of the Martyrs, which helps persecuted Christians around the world. A safe house for her to recover physically, for her to receive counseling, some financial benefit because she was left with nothing. And she did what few people would choose to do. Rana returned to her village because she said, I got to go in there. I got to go with them. And in her return, she shared Christ and what Christ had done for her with the villagers and some of those women. And that day, 32 women became followers of Jesus too. Let me tell you about Luce in Colombia. In 2007, she was eight months pregnant. This is a picture of Luce after her babies had recently been born. But she was eight, eight months pregnant when she and her husband Diego, who was a pastor, moved to a small village controlled by rebels in Colombia, where he pastored a small church there. And shortly after arriving, Diego was abducted by these rebels simply because of his faith. And two days later, police... found his dismembered body in a trash bag. And this was the newspaper heading in Colombia. Next slide. If you don't read Spanish, it says, they cut him in 30 pieces. Loose. Uh, She later learned that the rebels were looking for her and her family. Now they were the next target. She was interviewed later and she said, I really don't feel afraid. I'm not scared. Even knowing that these men are looking for me specifically. I don't feel fear because I know God. God's always been faithful to me. Even though I've been alone with my kids, I've always had him. He's always sustained me. He's always brought people around me. For my kids, it's been a big blessing. He's never left me in the most difficult moments, the moments of sadness. He's the one who consoles me and helps me keep going. I mean, last Monday, I'm sitting in Barnes & Noble and I'm just crying my eyes out in the cafe over these stories. I feel a sense of family pride. And I also want that kind of faith running through my bloodstream. And I want Renewed to be the kind of church that says, let me in there. And by the way, you know what if you know Spanish, you know what loose means, right? Light. Light. how passionate do you have to be about Jesus for this to happen? The great thing is that even when we think our faith is weak and I don't know, and I go from believing God to having doubts about Him, and I feel like my faith is strong, and the next week I feel like I just have a little bit of faith, the whole message of the book of Acts is seen. The power of the Holy Spirit. We trust the Spirit regardless of our level of faith to say, I'm just going to believe it. Even when it feels small. I'm just going to believe it anyway. I'm going to lean into this and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to take over. Paul, Rana, Luce, Mike, Deanne, and now us. It's available to us. And I hope Renew can be the kind of place where we cultivate that kind of bold passion for the risen Christ, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of a deep, amazing understanding of how big God's love is for us in order to honor Him. Paul even had this much courage in the theater in Ephesus, and yet later, he wrote to this little house church in Ephesus And that little house church in Ephesus would have remembered Paul's visit. I'm sure it it was legend. And even remembering this, this is what he asked for for them. This little house church in Ephesus in the midst of the temple of Artemis, in the shadow of the temple of Artemis, this little house church in Ephesus, this is what he asked them to do for him. He said, would you pray also for me? That whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let me end with this. Let me say this. If we leave here and the only thing we grasp is we need to be more like Paul, I think we've missed the point. Should we emulate lots of elements of Paul? Yes. But the role of our church, just like any church devoted to Jesus, is that we seek to emulate the risen Christ. However, the only way that Paul can have passion like this is because he and others, like Mike and Deanne and Luce and Rana, and many others around the world today, the only way they can have that much passion is because they realize how great and loving God really is. By the way, riots are mentioned four times in the New Testament. Three of them relate to Paul, which I think tells us a little bit about his hutzpah, right? But there's one other time in the New Testament where a riot is mentioned. Where is it? in front of Pilate with Jesus Jesus, Easter so this riot in Ephesus what are they shouting Artemis 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 in the riot that's about to break out in front of Paul what are they shouting two weeks ago Azazel 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 Jesus risked his life in front of an angry mob that shouted, Release Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! Azazel! Azazel! Not Artemis! 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 And why did Jesus stand before the riot? Because He loves you and I so much that He says, I've got to go in there. That Jesus says in the heavens, I've got to go down there. And others might say, no, 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 don't do it. You'll, you'll, you'll die for th- I love them too much. I've got to go in there for them, even if I die. Are we preaching yet? <laughs> That's how much you're loved. That there's a God who's willing to send His Son in because He loves you so much to say, I've got to go in there i got to go in there. And if God is someone through Jesus who loves us that much and is risen and still alive today, I think that deserves a response from us. So I'm going to pray here just a moment to close our time. I'm going to pray specifically in a few different ways, and I want to invite you uh, into that time to pray. And if prayer is new for you, um, or you, you feel like you haven't prayed for a long time, or God feels distant, that's fine. We'll pray for you on your behalf, and we'll lean into this with you. Um, but I, I want to I want to pray for three things for us, knowing that there's a God that loves us and pursued us that much, and still does. To go in there in the midst of a riot when people are shouting, but that we can respond in some ways. Number one, I'm going to pray that we as a church don't let fear and the acceptance of people become our own little silver shrines and idols like Demetrius was selling. Because truthfully, our culture is selling us a bunch of these silver idols of acceptance and fitting in and fearing what people think about us. And the gospel... Messes with those idols. I'm going to pray that God would mess with our idols of our fear of people, our fear of acceptance. And number two, I want to pray for courage and curiosity. Because do you realize, when, people, when God's people are courageous and other people are curious, God seems to do some amazing things in that situation. When we're courageous and people are curious, great stuff happens. I'm going to pray to that end. And then lastly, like Paul, who asked for prayer that he'd be fearless, I'm going to pray that we be bold people too. So let's pray together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Paul. Thank you for his courage of being, like John said, out of his mind. (laughs) God, would you make us as a little community here, which, by the way, was several times bigger than this little house church in Ephesus. Would you allow us to be a group of people that realize how much that you love us, that realize how much that Jesus said, i got to go in there. i got to do this for them. That if we're loved that much, God, that we would draw on that same courage that you had and that same courage that Paul had here. So God, would you help us? Would you forgive us for the ways in which we've allowed our fear of being accepted by people to keep us from speaking boldly like Paul. Help us to see that it's worth it to take some of these risks. Number two, God, would you help us to be courageous people while at the same time allowing other people to be curious? Because when courageous people and curious people are in the same room, you love to work. So we pray for that. And God... Just like Paul said, would you help us to speak fearlessly and to give us the words as we can talk to other people about this great and loving and pursuing God with His expansive love for us. Thank you for loving us that much, for running into the theater of the world that doesn't want to hear from you, but choosing to run in anyway because you love us. And that's the good news. And it's in the name of the one who's risen, whose love is pursuing us, and still pursues us today, Jesus Christ. Amen.